Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 886. Don't bake the um, clear coat on your freshly polished cam covers to your 328 in your home oven. If there is any chance your wife is going to come home sooner than she actually told you she would. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm a revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in all the way from Alabama, Adams Hudson. Hey, Adams, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am buckled up and surrounded by airbags as we speak, Mark. <laughs> well, good. Well, hopefully none of those will deploy. I will take you on a safe journey, but a spirited fun one, I promise you. <laughs> Adams Hudson is the founder and CEO of Hudson Inc., a company that helps contractors thrive through marketing, training, and coaching. However, it is his significant automotive addiction, owning more than 150 cars over 40 years of driving that brings Adams to Cars Yeah! today. He's made money buying and selling lots of cars, so his hobby is paid for itself. Instead of siphoning off that grocery money, largely placating his very patient wife, I have one of those too, he wrote a book for Motor Books International that is, was published, and he's penned several magazine articles and once owned a market letter for Pantera's Shelby's and Tigers. Adam's self-described credentials? Get ready. Product design chief for AMC Gremlin, financial advisor for DeLorean, it just gets worse, folks. And luggage space <laughs> consultants for the Alpha 4. You can tell Adams is a very clever and fun guy. So, Adams, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more before we get into the questions about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles? Yes, sir, Mark. And thank you, first of all, just for, you know, you having your passion to even do this show. And uh, we're going to presume by my being on it that you've sort of lowered your standards a little bit <laughs> in all the number of shows you've done. Oh, come but on. I, man, I, I tell you, dude, I'm like so many of your guests. We all have this sort of origin story that picks up where a car at some moment in time, you know, crosses your path and you just find this fascination. And that's just what, what I do. And I think you captured it a bit in the uh, interview. I had one time had actually pursued automobiles as a hobby, and then it became more than a hobby. Then I thought, well, I'll turn it into my vocation. And I did that for a few years. And, you know, it, it was interesting, but I, I hate to say that that just sort of, it almost took the fun out of it. It became like, you know, just moving metal. And that's not why I got into that. I know a lot of people and like wonderful luminaries like Bruce Canepa and a few others who have said, you know, you follow what you like and you, you follow your passion and your work will never seem like work. Well, I have a contrary view because every now and then I deal with a car that wasn't exactly as represented by the seller or maybe I would have a difficult personality I was selling to or some part or, you know, service failure. And I'm telling you on those days, Mark, that job seemed exactly like work. <laughs> yes. And so <laughs> yeah. I pulled out of that and decided to just have a job job that I'm also passionate about. But then the cars reemerged as just a fascination and a wonderful, wonderful uh, hobby from that point forward. And I've just been doing this my whole life, just flipping around and enjoying car shows and people and auctions and playing with them. Well, it's very, very cool. And real briefly, uh, share with our listeners a little bit about your your career business, your day job, let's say, when you're not playing with cars, what is your business all about? 
Well, it is uh, specifically probably the tightest definition is I am a direct response copywriter. And for those who kind of don't know what that mouthful is about, it's in the advertising and marketing world. Uh, we're in the, I say we, you know, we, the other direct response copywriters are probably make up about 5% of the uh, copywriters in the U.S. where we, our specialty is to persuade someone to get them to watch the video, go to the event, buy the book, attend the function, uh, purchase the thing, whatever it is, you know, to go from one spot to another. And we developed a business around that for, as you mentioned in the interview, for home service contractors. So we do it all over the nation and a, uh, a few contractors actually in Canada and South Australia and the UK. And I just write copy that is syndicated and published all over those places. Wow. Very, very cool. And I'm going to go off track just a little bit here because I'm thinking you're helping an industry that typically are craftsmen, people that are good with their hands and building stuff, but they're not real good with the business side and the marketing side. I'm wondering if there isn't an opportunity to do that for the same people, but those people say that have restoration shops, uh, auto body shops, painters, fabricators, engine builders. I'm not sure if you've explored that or not, but it seems like there's a correlation here. Mark, I'm telling you, you are a very astute interviewer, and obviously you sort of hear things or read things between the lines, and that is precisely you know, trying to marry the passions and the pursuits and a little bit of my skill. And we have actually, I've actually just sold my business about four months ago and am working out a, 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 a contract for work. And that occurred, you know, I think, how can I combine these two things to actually help another industry? And you're dead on, man. I mean, yeah, they're the, the craftsmen and the technicians that I currently work with who are not remotely related to automobiles that could easily be translated. So thank you for the tip of the day. No hey. kidding. That's, that's, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Happy to help. Yeah. Well, I, I think, and I know actually from the now over 886 people I've talked to here on Cars, yeah, that can be a great challenge for those industries for sure. So uh, there you go. But, well, before we roll into it, you know, it's funny also you said this, and I think it applies to both the, the trades that we're discussing, is that if the contractors were good at marketing, I wouldn't have a job. Right. And so they do their craft, and they do it incredibly well. And my hat's off to them. I just admire the people who do that very difficult work of day. And I just help make their phones ring and their inboxes light up. And certainly that is exactly what I've seen in a lot of wonderful repair shops. It might be fabulous with the wrench, but they're not so great at getting people uh, in the door. So yeah, thank you again for that. Yeah, great business niche there for uh, people out there with the skills like you. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start this way, and that's by asking you for a success quote or a mantra, something that really has a good meaning for you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So Adams, take the wheel. Well, mine would be you become what dominates your thoughts. And that would be essentially from uh, James Allen, uh, As a Man Thinketh. It's a very short book. If anybody wants to pick, pick that up, it can be read in about an hour or two. It's almost written akin to the way Proverbs is written. Mm -hmm. And it just, that has just always stuck with me. And you hear that in many, many ways, and it manifests in many ways. People to, who talk about being sick or hurting or ailing all the time tend to be sick and hurting and ailing all the time. Mm. People who tend to have a more positive outlook, even amid maybe a potential negative consequence, they somehow find that silver lining and are more joyful as a result. So I really believe you become what you think about. 
You know, I believe that a 1,000%. I have quite a big following on social media, specifically Facebook here, and I see that over and over with people. Those who post all the bad things that are happening in their lives, that's all they ever talk about. And those that talk about the, yeah. the exciting things, the uh, adventurous things, the fun things, what we realize everybody has challenges. Some have bigger challenges than others, that's for sure. But to focus on those things and dwell on those things just manifest more and more. And it attracts people of like mind. And then you're just a bunch of folks sitting around complaining about everything and oh, just it gets over. Overwhelming. You are so right. And they tend to want to out-complain the other because now it becomes this oddball inverse competition yes. to misery. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally concur. I practice delete and scroll on by and just try to focus on <laughs> the interesting and fun things. Oh, gosh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And This man, is turning into the life coach interview. I know, a little bit, a little bit. But that's not a bad thing, though. You know, it gives people something no, to I'm think about. No, I'm yeah. Yeah, yeah, you are as you think. That's for sure. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. Now, you've had lots of cars. Uh, holy cow, lots of cars, that's for sure. But I'd love for you to go back and talk about a story or a car that instigated your passion. Uh, is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realized you indeed were set out to be a car guy? You know, it's funny, that question, which seems like, oh, one of those surface kind of skim questions, you know, when you've been at it as long as you and I have with all the broad experiences, you're really kind of hard to pick a defining moment. Yes. But it was the first thing that occurred to me was the one that I kept coming back to, which is, and it's not thrilling, I'm just telling you, it was a moment in time in my life when I was eight years old. I don't even remember who in my family was looking for a car, and that's entirely immaterial. But we went to, I'm, I'm in a relatively small town in Alabama, and so it was the only place that would sell foreign cars. They were the Volkswagen, Mercedes, Austin Healey, Triumph, something. You know, all those dealerships wadded up into one mm -hmm. sort of dingy environment, nothing like you would see now. And as whoever was shopping for the car at the time, and it must have been like, you know, I have five brothers and sisters, uh, so they were probably terrorizing the rest of the place. But I was left alone, Mark, and I remember asking a salesperson to please open it, or he maybe said, do you want to sit in this? He sat me in a British racing green with black interior, 1966, Austin Healey 3000 Mark III, the BJ8 model, and I sat in there and I stared at those gauges and that wood dashboard and something about the coolness of the controls and the fact that the speedometer went to 140 when every <laughs> other one I'd ever seen in my life stopped at 120. Yep. And even that was optimistic. I remember sitting in there going, there's something here. This is just the coolest thing. And I just felt like I was in my own little cocoon, for lack of a better word. You know, at eight years old, it was a tiny car and I'd never seen anything like it. And that tripped the trigger <laughs> what a nice trigger to get uh tripped for sure well wonderful memory yeah you know it's funny i was just on a another podcast last night Ingle jones 12 minute convos where he has a 12 minute conversation with people i was invited to be a guest there and he asked us to go back and talk about our earliest childhood memory and for me it was eight years old as well so uh fun that you mentioned that what a wonderful wonderful thing well Let's take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure. Now, when you talk about buying and selling all these different cars you've had over time and, and working on making cars a business and then it kind of, uh, maybe this isn't the right way I want to go. Take us to one of those points in time that was a big challenge in your life. And, and again, even a big failure is even better. But of course, the most important part of this question is, what did it teach you? So take us down that path, would you? 
Yeah, that's interesting. I would say, and this is hard to put in the category of failure, but it was certainly a realization of some sort of proportion, is prior to my getting married, you know, 32 years ago, yeah, and I had, uh, I remember vividly, I, I was like trimming out of inventory in order to fund my honeymoon. I mean, that was it. I mean, that, that's what I needed to do. I yeah. mean, I didn't have, you know, exhaustive wads of cash or anything. And I was getting rid of, I got rid of the truck I was driving. I got rid of uh, another car, uh, Alpha GTD. And, and, and I was sort of like putting together a little bit of profit off of those. And this is when I was doing the automobiles full time or, or so-called. It was, it was a lot of play involved. But in any event, I was trimming out. And I remember I had this Jaguar E-Type V12. That was the last one that I needed to get rid of. And Mark, I'm telling you, I've got the wedding pressures. We're moving into a house that actually is being renovated. And so I'm sort of stretched in between those jobs. And, you know, weddings are really like their own entity. You know, they become the living, breathing thing. And mm -hmm. most of the time they're argumentative and about lists and stuff. But yeah. anyway, all this pressure leaning down on, you know, a 25-year-old with the, what seemed like the world on my shoulders. And this E-type just wouldn't go away. People would come and they would look at it and it was fine. But then their financing would fall through or somebody else would come and say, oh, by the way, let me offer you half what it's worth. And it was just this task and a half, and it was clawing uphill all the time, trying to get it done, trying to get it done. And one time it actually sold the car, and the, I literally have the guy's cashier's check. He drives off. We're buddies. We're like handshaking. He's fine. Car's awesome. Looks better than ever. He drives off. He calls me 50 miles later from a payphone, which dates the story a bit, yep. and says the voltage regulator in it popped. The ammeter, excuse me, the, the alternator is smoking. Thank you, Mr. Lucas. Good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> yeah. And he said, I'm done. I'm getting my wife to pick me up. I'm putting a stop payment on the check. And I thought, this just can't be happening to oh, me. No. But it was happening. And I, and well, and that, that was just one of those moments again, not terrible. It's not terrible, but it was a moment where I said, this is way the heck harder than it should be. This is supposed to be fun, and I'm telling you, this is like unfun. And so I got way more selective after that moment. We, you know, obviously we did the honeymoon and did the whole thing and came back, and I started winding out at about that time. Ah, Mr. Lucas, yes. Now, I have to be very careful oh, yeah, when, I, when I mention his name because I'll tell you a funny story. I was recording a show with a guest last year. We were talking about uh, Joseph Lucas. And I made some derogatory comment, and my computer did something it has never done before. It screeched three loud screeches and went black and died. <laughs> that was his ghost. Yeah, the <laughs> ghost. So I promised after that I would never speak disparagingly about Mr. Joseph Lucas. So, Dr. Lucas, you're okay. I'm okay with you, buddy. Yeah. Don't mess up this interview. And, you know, now that, now that you say that, I'm okay with him, too. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. <laughs> that it was the fault of something else. I, mean, I retract what I just said. About exactly. Exactly. But, you know, it's the second time today, and I've interviewed several people before you, that his name has popped up. So uh, he does have right. a legacy. Well, let's move forward and shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career or a life aha moment. One of those illuminating times where you decide this is the path I need to take. What was yours? Well, actually, um, it was 
back in the day when importing cars from Europe was a good thing to do financially and otherwise, you know, that sort of opened up the gates of some interesting cars that we either otherwise couldn't get to the United States or maybe we exhausted resources and there were some interesting pieces to come. And I was in Italy at the time finishing up uh, school, college, somebody in the admissions department fouled up and allowed me to go into graphic art school in Florence. Cool. And I walked everywhere I went. It was a great experience. I walked everywhere I went, as a lot of people do in Europe. And one day, for no particular reason, or you could say because fate and the Lord decided this was a good thing to do, I took a completely different route back home. And lo and behold, I saw this little silhouette of a shape that I'd never seen in my life. And it had the word occasione written on the windshield, which means like opportunity or something uh, (laughs) equivalent in English. And what that meant is that it was for sale, and it was a black Dino 246 GT. Oh, my. Yep. And I had been dabbling in all in college. I had sold MGs and Triumphs and, and a ton of uh, BMW 2002s. I, would, I was buying those. It was great for college kids. And I just bought and sold those as often as I could. And when I saw that thing, I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to have to scrape together everything I could possibly scrape together to buy this 246 GT for then a whopping sum of 19,000 U.S. dollars. Well, that was, what year was this? Uh, this was in 1983. Okay, that was a lot of money then. Oh, it, yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was enough. And, you know, then we, I got to go through the whole process of uh, exporting that car from Italy then importing into the U.S. and had it land at LaGuardia Airport in New York. And then I drove that car with no PPI and Lord knows what else we would do now in our paranoid state (laughs) of having to have cars checked out. I put gas in it and I drove it from uh, New York to Alabama without doing much more than checking the oil and the air pressure. But that was an awesome moment. And I thought, this is like freedom. This is cool. This is fun. This is what I love to do, whether it's a a job pursuit or just always a sideline wonderful thing. Yeah. Oh, those, I love those cars. One of my favorites. That's the first Ferrari I ever drove. I know that Enzo would say, no, no, it's a Dino, not a Ferrari. But uh, for me, yeah. it was a Ferrari. But, uh, oh, they're just they're so, so beautiful. So beautiful. Fun to drive. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, what yeah. a great story. Well, how about a proudest career or life moment? Is there one that stands out for you? Well, I guess another one might be the publishing of that book. Obviously, that's not about touching metal and wonderful car stories per se, but it was it was a big moment to me when Motor Books agreed to publish it. And again, do not go rush out and try to find one. I think it's been out of print long enough, but I think the, the primary lesson for that for me was your writing is okay enough for someone to actually spend money on it. <laughs> and when that happened, I thought, well, okay, that was a little bit of an endorsement outside of your your mother who thinks everything you wrote and drew was like masterpiece. (laughs) And so that was really, you know, it was was one of those times. And I thought, okay, somebody actually wrote me a check and is sending me a check every quarter for royalties. Maybe I can make it in the, you know, pursuing the writing side of things, which I did. Yeah, very cool. Well, Motorbooks, the fine people at Motorbooks are very nice to me. They send me many cool books to review. I've interviewed many of their authors. Last week, I just gave away three copies of a wonderful new book by Randy Leffingwell and Michael Furman, Porsche 70 Years. Uh, There's going to be more coming up here for you listeners and you subscribers uh, whose names will be thrown in the hat for many more book gives away. So that was a great place to start with Motorbooks because they're a very, very high-end fine publisher. They do great work. So congratulations for 
for that. Very cool. Published author. Nice. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Let's have a little bit of fun and go back in time here. Because you've had so many cars, I'm going to talk about the first really special car you bought. You may have given away the ghost with that Dino. I don't know. But what was the first really special car that you acquired? Well, it would predate that Dino a, a bit. It would have to go back to the high school era. And, and, and so I'm going to answer it like with a little trickle, a little tributary leading up to the actual first special car. I had a Mercury Capri, which at the time was like a, you know, it was sort of an import, but it was a little bit of a, you know, hybridized version because it had some Ford bits on it. It was, you know, of course, a Ford of Europe yeah. rebadged a Mercury Capri, and they sold like crazy over here. I mean, they were like phenomenally popular cars, I think, at a time, second only to a VW for an imported car in sales. And I had one of those, and I just loved it. You know, it was a little bit anemic. It was a four-cylinder uh, with an automatic, uh, you know, a car I would probably put a bullet in now if I had it. But at that time, <laughs> it meant a lot to me. And through a couple of trades and sideways things after that, I just got this sports car bug. And of course, the Austin Healey change is sort of rumbling around in my head. I thought, and I ended up getting a car. The first kind of special car I got was a 1960 Austin Healey bug-eyed Sprite. Ah. And you are going, you're going to say, hey, We've had other guests who said the same thing because I listened to the interviews uh -huh. with uh, Dr. Stephen Moran. Yep. He had one. And then Keith Martin, he had one. And I listened to those and I thought, good gosh, you know, there's some, some, some thread of continuity. But that's what it was. And I took that car off to college my very first year. And lo and behold, about two weeks later, uh, wrecked it. And uh, oh. no, we did not have airbags in that thing. Yeah, it was a, it was a low speed impact. Yeah. I was hurt a little bit, but not enough to talk about. And immediately at that moment, I got the insurance check and went out and bought my first of about six MGBGTs that oh I had. Gosh. And I just love those. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a blended story. Sorry to give you such a long answer, but I'd say the bug eye was the one. Well, uh, just last week I had David Silberkleit, who is known as the Bug Eye Guy. Uh, his title is CFO, Chief Frog Eye Officer. <laughs> He's got a cool bug, uh, business, uh, the Bug Eye Guy business, and he sells parts. And I think uh, since he started his business, he sold over 217 or 18 Bug Eyes. So that's pretty cool. But the Mercury Capri, that was a cool little car. I, I remember that car. I remember a girlfriend in high school in that car. The first gen, the 70 through 77, I think, or 78 was a that's, yep. generation of those cars. And yeah, yep. I mean, that was kind of the sexy European car. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think they're, they're really pretty little cars and, and kind of fun. Yeah. A little anemic perhaps, but for a young person, you know, that's okay. You don't need something now, super fast. Now they put a V6, they had a 2.8 Cologne V6. And if you had that and a manual shift, you had pretty much a decent sports car, though it had a back seat. I mean, that was, that was pretty, pretty good for the day. Yeah. I think so. It's kind of a little sporty, almost a, a Mustang esque type car. Exactly. Like a Mustang you'd put in the dryer. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, a little bit smaller. Well, how about seller's remorse? Now, this has got to be a, a tough one to come up with. You've let go so many cars, but is there one? And let's take the finances out of this. Let's just talk emotion because we all have had those cars we've owned that are now worth what we never dreamed they would be. So is there one one sad seller's remorse story you could share? Yeah, and I appreciate you just, you know, go ahead and knock me down a notch. I went from being all youthful and up and exuberant about the Dino, and now... I'm sorry. 
don't gonna whack me down in the need of therapy. But yeah, <laughs> I had a uh, a Ferrari uh, BB five twelve I the oh. boxer, as many people call them. Yes, um, not not to be confused when my nine car friends say. Oh, you had a boxster? It's like no, no, that's not it. Just be, just be quiet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but it was a a, a five twelve BBI, and I had that car about eight years, and I really, really enjoyed that car. Yeah. You know, it gave me fits off and on, as sometimes the the fragile Italians will. You know, the sort of love hate thing. But it got better and better and better, and I enjoyed it more and more and more. Wow. And though it sounds a little connected to the financial side, I saw that car take a take a rise up. And in its value at the exact time that I had decided, and my wife too, this was a mutual thing, to vastly simplify our lives, Mm -hmm. i.e. let's scrape a lot of material belongings out of our lives, things that are nibbling at us uh, even as we go to sleep and that kind of, so the BB uh, went away along with several other cars, but that was the one. And I know this sounds just like psycho, except to your audience, (laughs) that I truly thought about before I went to sleep for about a year. And it's still every now and then. I'm not, I'm not crying about it, but it was one of those. You know, I'd take it back in a second. Yeah, sorry to drum that up, but uh, you know what? Everybody has those <laughs> stories. Almost everybody has been on the show here. I've got my own. So we understand this is a very soothing place here on Cars Yeah for our fellow, our feather. <laughs> We're going to turn the microphones around on you one day. I, I, I'm going to interview you for your show. How about that? <laughs> well, if my listeners uh, go back to show number 300, and I had my son interview me, and uh, actually Tommy Kendall has offered to do an interview on this show and interview me. I ha- just haven't been brave enough to turn the microphone around with Tommy yet because I know he's going to beat me up, but uh, well, we'll we'll see about that. We'll see about that. So. We will carry on. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow and what's coming up here. What has you excited and fired up? You said you sold your business four months ago, so you must have something on the horizon you're looking at. We've continued with the simplification, though that's not really exciting or thrilling to talk about. You know, I sold about seven cars, all kind of in a row, and I know that you would agree and a lot of listeners, too. It is, yes, about the cars, but honestly, it's more about the people in the community, and cars are just sort of the adhesive factor of that. And so I met so many wonderful people during that, and I tell you, it was kind of nice to go from being fully immersed up to my neck in automotive projects and pursuits and all these things, and I literally spent virtually every weekend in my garage and rolling around on the floor and doing all kinds of things. But, you know, now I'm a little bit on the sidelines, so I'm actually at the moment enjoying going to shows, going to auctions without a bidder's paddle, which is like <laughs> hard to do. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like coming, it's like drug rehab. You know, I mean, I, I don't mean to make light of that. I know that's a lot harder, but right. the same emotional stirrings and cravings, you know, come up when you're around it. But little by little over the past year, I've just sort of kept my one car and sort of perfected that as best I can. I'm slightly OCD, which my wife would laugh at the word slightly there. But <laughs> anyway, I'm enjoying watching and I'm watching the market. And eventually I will go back up to a minor accumulation road. Yeah. But I'm not missing it right now. I'm having an awesome time being a spectator uh, instead of an on-the-field participant. Well, you know, I've not owned a whole bunch of cars at one time, but I've known plenty of people who do, and sometimes I hear the same things from them. They can't really enjoy all those, and and sometimes they become a sense of a burden with all the costs and obligations and storage, and what do you do with them, and 
And then do I drive them and their investments and all these things swirl around in your head. And sometimes it is good to kind of step aside. And I think this downsizing thing you've mentioned a couple times here, I've heard this from some other people and maybe the age, you and I are about the same age bracket. So, and sometimes you get to a certain point in life and you realize that all this stuff in your life is not that important and it can become a bit of an anchor around your neck in many ways. And I love the the concept of freeing you up to go do more shows. I, I love to take photographs and and I find myself behind the lens so much that I forced myself one time to go to a car show with no camera, keep my phone in my pocket. Mm. And I enjoyed it from a whole nother way that I'd forgotten. That is, I wasn't so focused on taking pictures. I could just enjoy the car for what it was and the person who was behind the car. So I so understand that completely. And I'm going to take about a one minute deviation here if yep. that's even allowable within the time constraints. But I, I, I coached my son in baseball when they, they were younger, you know, before they got to where they could throw 90 miles an hour and they didn't want that on the field. But, <laughs> you know, I coached him for several, several years in baseball. That was kind of my sport growing up. And I can remember one time vividly, Mark, and this is just like what you're saying with the camera lens, where I'd coached him and I'd been on the field and every game was, you know, rife with anxiety and who's going to do this and a little bit of nerves. You know, you win some, you lose some, but there's always that intensity. You're like with them and you're doing stuff in the dugout and all that, that other thing. And I can remember that on one particular year, another dad had volunteered to sort of take over and help out, you know, and he was going to pick up the, the baton from where I left it off. And I thought, okay. And, you know, so I... I like said, this is great. You know, well, I'm just going to go to the stands like a normal person. They said, yeah, dude. I mean, I literally had never sat in the stands mm-hmm. during one of my son's games. Yeah. And I went up there and I sat in the stands and figuratively and literally, I'm sitting there observing something with a whole new heightened degree of enjoyment. Yes. And it was just awesome. Yeah. It's like you without the camera. It's like, oh, this is what other people are doing, enjoying themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said earlier, a little bit of uh, analysis for the listeners today, maybe a little input on how to improve your life in some different ways. Hopefully, <laughs> we've shared some insights here that will help somebody out there in cars, yeah, land, uh, approach things from a different perspective that might improve their life. So I appreciate that little sidebar. Nice story. Well, if you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Oh, dear. And I, you know, I hear a lot of people answer this question like a car they really love or really want. You right. know, to me, that's a slight variation on the question that everybody answers it, you know, in, in their own interpretation. You're right. But mine, as I thought of, you know, I thought about it, mine would be a Maserati Bora 4.9 SS. Hmm. And that is because it is too complicated for its own good. <laughs> and. You know, with the, with the hydraulics and the crazy stuff that was going on, you know, with the, the, the LHM green fluid that the French thought was such a wonderful idea that, like, nobody else agreed with. But, you know, that, that car, it's, it's got the aesthetics. I, I, I pretend to have a drop or two of Italian blood in me. And so something about the, the combination factor of that car, you know, going through the storied years of Maserati and then really to me, that's kind of like when they were maybe past their peak, but they were just cool enough, and that's kind of what I feel. <laughs> maybe I'm a little past my peak, but still uh, acceptably passionate enough to sort of sort of get in there and mix it up if I need to. Well, I appreciate you putting some very great thought to that answer to that question. Bravo. Brilliant. Fantastico. We'll throw a little Italian in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. This, this, this is a broad-reaching show. Well, we go everywhere here. You know, there's lots of paths, yeah. lots of roadways to take. So uh, we try to try to enjoy the drive. That's the most important thing. Well, Adam's up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. 
What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier Plush and Berber Custom Floor Mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them market Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Okay, Adams, we are back, and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? The best automotive advice I've ever received was you don't make your money when you sell. You make it when you buy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I, I don't mean that to turn into a whole, you know, capitalism debate over, you know, beating some poor seller up so you get the best deal. It's really about, does that car speak to you when you're buying? Is it something unique and fun and something you really want? Are you going to do that classic look back over your shoulder when you see it in the parking lot? You know, it's that. So that was great automotive advice. Very much so. Now, is there a personal habit that you garner that you think our listeners would uh, learn a little bit from? One of my habits, and this is maybe a trait, if not a habit, I'm not exactly sure, but to never reinstall a dirty part. Ah. Uh, I'm a fast, yes. you know, I'm a fastidious cleaner and detailer, and a lot of times, you know, a technician will pull something off and he'll replace whatever's inside, and he'll throw the filthy caliper back on, and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, that is not. The deal. Yeah. I will roll up my sleeves. I'll scrub. I'll replay or repaint or whatever it is. But we are not replacing any dirty parts. Uh, it's great advice. Great advice. And I'm sure if you're fixing one caliper, that means now you got to go clean the other three. So <laughs> I- exactly, and all the bolts that go with them. But you know, it kind of makes a difference when people look up under a car and go, "Jeepers, look at this thing!" Yeah. You know, this is somebody who cared about the car, and that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's a lot of great resources for us to enjoy these days. Is there one that stands out for you? 
Uh, I'm a bit of a Google-holic, like many are, and I would say as far as value estimation, though I don't buy and sell on this venue a tremendous amount, it's just absolutely phenomenal what eBay has done for the world. I mean, people kind of take that for granted, that you can just pop in the most obscure part or car or whatever it is, and bang, you'll get you know, between 10 and 100 hits, and you sort of get some education on that. So somewhere between Google as the generalist and eBay Motors as the more specifics. Oh, absolutely. You know, and a couple of years ago, I went through a kind of a downsizing period where I wanted to just kind of clean out some things. And I went on a massive eBay selling spree and I couldn't believe what people would buy from me all over the world. I mean, old shoes, uh, yep. a tuxedo I hadn't worn for five years. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. And then on the flip side, of course, if you need a part, it's there. I mean, it's just it's a phenomenal thing, and it's gotten so much easier, too. So I like that yep. very much. Yeah. And my son works for Google, so he'll love to hear the word Googleholic. So he's smiling right now as well. So there you go, Blake. There you go. Now, I was going to say you need to turn them into a sponsor for all this glory. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah, I need to talk to him. <laughs> See what kind of pull he has for his old man. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? It would be Paul Newman. Oh, cool. That'd be fun. Well, you know, he lived such a, you know, glamorous life in one sense. You know, we think about Hollywood and a little bit the sort of vapid or delusional, self-impressed sort of world. Excuse me, Hollywood, for throwing you into that category. But I think generally speaking, that's how people consider it. Yep. And, you know, he was a real man. He stayed married to his wife. He was true to himself. He, he sort of resisted the whole Hollywood regime. He had a lot to overcome going into racing because so many people are like, oh, yeah, watch this, you know, handsome movie star. Get in there and turn a wheel. And dear Lord, he turned a wheel. So. Yes. Car guy all around, and in fact, um, I think as I submitted, I owned one of the cars that uh, one of the last cars he ordered new. So yeah. um, I really feel a connection with him. Yeah, you got an Audi S4 Avant, is that right? That is correct. Yeah, and uh, it's a, a six-speed, and it is the only one ever painted its color of aquamarine. Which, at least in my my mind, I'll never know this. It was ordered because it is it's a dead-on match for his eye color. Yeah. Oh, what an awesome car! Love the wagons. Yeah, very very cool. Well, how about a book? Is there a book you'd like to share with our listeners? Man, I'll tell you the book that just turned me on at whatever year it was published. I'm going to say right, uh, potentially early 80s, somewhere in there. But my dear, dear mother gave me this at my request, but it was Modern Classics by Rich Taylor. And that book was so seminal to me because, first of all, Rich has, and he still is very much alive and runs automotive tours and rallies, but the cars he picked were the cars I loved, and the ones he picked that I didn't know about, I grew to love. Mm. But his writing, oh my gosh, that was like I did not know people could write about cars to that degree until I read that book. And that was a milestone for me. I, I, I read that thing so many times I have memorized it, plus it's hilarious. <laughs> and then the other one would be, and I've heard some of your other folks talk about um, the Art of uh, Racing in the Rain. Yes, by Gar Stein. Yes, definitely. That's it. Yeah. Here I am. Great. Book. 
Yeah, fabulous book. And of course, as I've mentioned to in other shows, Garth's been a guest on the show. I was fortunate enough to meet him and have him on the show. Well, these are all great resources that you've shared with us, Adams. And I'll remind our listeners, you can find them all on Adams' show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. Just type Adams, A-D-A-M-S. Yes, there is an S on the end of that there. Last name Hudson. And you'll find links to these books and all the other great things he shared with us today on that show notes page. All right, we're up to the checkered flag. The fun one, the doozy question, as I like to call it. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car today, but you only can have one in the garage. And that's what makes this a difficult one. But you've been downsizing, so we'll just go down to one very special car. What would that be and why? It would be a Ferrari 275 GTB4. And since we're getting picky, and thanks so much for your generosity there. You're um, welcome. It's going to be <laughs> Blue Sarah with tan and we're good. We're good for life. That's just all I need. That's all I need in art and sculpture, automobiles, transportation, bragging rights, whatever you want. Ah, okay. Well, beautiful car. Uh, I mean, spectacular car. And I can see why you'd choose a, a car like that. They're just, uh, oh, GTB4. Now, would you like the, uh, the NART aluminum body on that? You know, I, I would I would let you pick. I'll forego okay. that because it might actually delay your acquisition. Okay. So I'll just take a steel body car and be good. <laughs> okay, very nice. And that's that's a somewhat of a ri- more rare color. You used to seeing those in yellow or red, of course. Uh, but uh, blue Sarah, mm, nice, nice car. Wow. Well, you can't go wrong with that one, my friend. Of course, that's going to break the bank again. For me here, which is a <laughs> daily occurrence on cars, yeah, but that's okay. You got an expensive habit, man. Oh, I know. Trim that question back. Maybe I should. Yeah, maybe I should start asking it with a price limit, and that would make things really interesting. And people would have to really be careful with that one. But uh, no, happy to get that car for you. Uh, I'll pick it up out here on the West Coast and drive it across the country to Alabama. I think that'd be a fun drive. You picked a very special. I'll put car. you up. There you go. I appreciate it. Well, you've taken me on a great ride today, Adams. I knew you would. I've really enjoyed your story. I'm so happy that we connected. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with me and the Car Show listeners. Is there a little nugget of wisdom or guidance you could share with us before you uh, head off into the sunset in that 275 GTB4? Uh, I've got a couple of bits of advice. Uh, one is don't touch a distributor on a running car. That has never worked well for me. <laughs> no. I mean, I know people who do it, and I reach in and I get lit up like, you know, Squidward <laughs> on SpongeBob SquarePants, you know, from the electric eel. And so don't do that. Don't touch that distributor. And I'd say another little piece of advice, uh, don't bake the um, clear coat on your freshly polished cam covers to your 328 in your home oven. <laughs> if there is any chance your wife is going to come home sooner than she actually told you she would, <laughs> that, that won't go well, and I'm living proof. But the real advice would be, when in doubt, err on the side of generosity. And I would say let that apply automotively, because sometimes, you know, you know, Mark, we go to these shows and people are all protected and they have stanchions up in front of their car and they're wiping, you know, every speck of dust off and they're shooing people away. And I understand you don't want to get your car damaged. I totally get that part. But I have never, and I mean underline never, turned down anybody who wanted to take a photo with themselves or even put them in the car. And, you know, they might have been a little sticky and or stinky when I put them in there. But, you know, let them enjoy it because, you know, it might be their moment that we've all had if you do that. So just be generous with this. You know, share the hobby 
We've got generations behind us who really need to be immersed in this hobby as well. Absolutely. And especially for kids, let a kid sit in your car. You will change a life. I guarantee it. Uh, most definitely. Yeah. And that, uh, that other tip about the kitchen. Yeah. The same goes for wheels in the dishwasher. Uh, don't do that either. Uh, you'll get busted. So we got a little confession going you'll on. You'll get busted big time. Well, what's the best way for listeners to follow along with you these days? Are you active on social media? Are you out there in, in any way? Oh, I want to start something called anti-social media. I think I'd be <laughs> awesome at that. No, I'm really not. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, you know, in this, this post-business era, not completely post-business, but on the way toward that, about something that involves automobiles and how about when I decide on that and lo and behold, it may be the tip you gave me in the first five minutes. Yeah. I'll contact you and we'll build a little audience following that way. How about that? That sounds like a plan. You just stay in touch with me. Well, listeners, again, you can find all these links for Adams and all the great ideas and things he shared with us today on his show notes page at carsyeah.com. Just type Adams. Again, that's with an S on the end. Hudson, and you'll find his page right there on the website. Adams, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your fun experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. This has been great. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.